And if you would this morning, turn to Revelation 21. Turn to the very back of your Bible and the last two chapters we're going to look at today. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasy, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Pray with me. Father, we're so thankful for your word. And I pray today as we look just for a few moments at this final installment in our project, Thankfulness. Help us today, Lord, to learn. May we see not only what we have uh, in our past and in our present to be thankful for, but also, Lord, in our wonderful, blessed future. So, speak to us today. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, you know my heart today is struggling. Help me, I pray, to control my emotions today and and, and just guide this few minutes. Make us thankful for what you will do. Uh, We are thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up our project thankfulness this morning. We'll actually wrap it up completely Wednesday night in our final prayer meeting of before Thanksgiving. But uh, uh, pretty much for Sunday mornings, we're wrapping it up today. And, and, and we, we've over the last three weeks seen several things, have we not, that we can be thankful for. We can be thankful for who God is. And we can be thankful for what he has done and what he is doing now in our lives. But today, I want us to look at the logical conclusion of that. I want us to say thank you, God, for what you will do. What you will do. We have learned that we can be thankful for what God has done in the past. And he has done much, hasn't he, in all of our lives. And we have learned that we can be thankful for what he is doing right now. He is doing a great thing, a great work in our lives, even as we sit here today. uh, Our present experience. But I think today we need to talk about what he is going to do in the future. And we'll see that we have lots to be thankful for there. This past Wednesday night in prayer meeting, I asked the question. I said, okay, you, you need to help me with my sermon for Sunday now. Uh, tell me, what is it that we have to be thankful for that God will do? What future thing? And, of course, the unanimous answer came back. Why? He's going to come again. And, of course, that is the first thought that comes to our mind, isn't it? Jesus is coming again. Marvelous message we bring. Wonderful carol we sing. Jesus is coming again. And, and that is perhaps the first thing that comes to our, to our mind. The return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't come just once as a baby in the manger. Oh, he came. That was the first time. But he is coming again. The Bible is clear. And when he comes again, he will come in power and glory and establish a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. That's our great hope, isn't it? The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is our great anticipation. The older I get, the more I find myself. Every time I see a funny looking cloud formation, I find myself staring at that and thinking, is Jesus coming back in those clouds? Because he's coming again. Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. What a glorious promise. He's coming again. He said in John chapter 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I love Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we quote verse number 8 a lot, uh, the Great Commission verse there. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and be witnesses unto me. 
Uh, but I love the, 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 the picture that is painted for us there because as, as Jesus gave those final words and then he was, uh, he was taken up into heaven, we have this wonderful uh, account of the apostles just standing there staring up into heaven. And let me read just a little bit of it. Uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9. It says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Hebrews chapter 9 says, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Uh, We could stop right here and we could say, Thank you, God, for what you will do. You will come again. Could we not? That's a glorious thing and something that we ought to be thankful for. And as I said, that was the thought that came to everybody's mind on Wednesday night. But my mind is weird. My mind goes other directions. I'm very thankful for the second coming of Christ. But I thought of a couple of other things that, uh, that I'm thankful for that he will do. Let me just share two. And you could probably think of a hundred of them. Let me just share two that come to my mind this morning. Uh, and then we'll be done. Uh, things that he will do in the future. I, I want to say thank you, God, this morning. Uh, that he will fix what's broken. That he will fix what's broken. Lately, I've had this wonderful experience of people coming to me and asking me questions about reading the Bible. Glory to God. Makes a preacher want to shout when people are reading their Bibles. And I've had some people asking me, you know, how and what they should read and things like that, and that's great. And I certainly encourage you to do that. Do it. Read it. If you get bogged down in it, just keep right on going. Just keep on reading it. But you know what? When you start reading the Bible, you know what you're going to do? You're going to come to the book of Genesis. And you know what you're going to find in the book of Genesis? You're going to find that we really messed things up bad. And now everything is broken as a result. And you're going to be discouraged. But then you're going to read a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And eventually you're going to come to the book of Revelation. And you're going to find that everything is fixed. Everything that was broken is fixed because of Christ. Everything in this world right now is broken. And because everything is broken, it's not a pleasant place. There is pain. There is poverty. And there is oppression. And slavery. There is struggle. There is war. There is evil. All those things are part of our reality. And of course, we know. And as I said, when you read in the book of Genesis, you know why that is. Theologically, we understand the answer to why that is. It's because mankind sinned. We can read about that in Genesis chapter 2. God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And, and you know the story. That's exactly what happened. And every tree in the world to eat from. Everything in the world, they have just one command to obey. And they failed. And because of that, everything is broken. Everything that is wrong, everything that is bent, everything that is undone, everything that is painful, hurting, diseased, dying, warped, ugly, evil, disfigured, everything wrong in this world traces its history back to that decision, back to that mistake, back to that sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul said, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. But the Bible teaches me that one of these days, 
And I think very, very soon now, God is going to fix everything that is broken. There is a there is a, a an aspect of thinking uh, in which it's already done. It's already taken place. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross of Calvary, uh, in the mind of God, it is already fixed. But we will experience the reality of that very, very soon now, when God is going to fix everything that is broken. We, didn't we read about some of it this morning in Revelation? Look at verse number 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Don't you look forward to that day? Don't you want to say thank you, God, that one of these days, all those things that are broken, that are bad, will be done away with, will be fixed. Look at verse number 27. Revelation 21, 27. There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. All that is bad, all that is broken, all that is messed up, gone, fixed. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Chapter 22 and verse 2. Our nation could use some of those leaves, don't you think? All nations could. One of these days, everything that is broken. And just look at that word nations and you think about what's going on in our world with nations. All that is broken will be fixed. Verse number 3, there shall be no more curse. We read of the curse in Genesis chapter 1. We read of the fixing of the curse in Revelation 22. No more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Can you not say with me, am I the only one who wants to say this morning, thank you, God, for what you will do. You're going to fix everything that is broken. I want to say it. Number two. I want to say thank you, God, for what you will do, for you will answer all my questions. I know a lot of things. Does that sound arrogant if I say that? Logan, does that sound arrogant? I know a lot of things. I don't mean it to sound arrogant. I'm 56 years old, and the fact is I've learned some things in life. And all of you who are nodding your heads right now, you know that is the case. I have come to believe, and I've come to understand some things. I know a little bit about technology, for example. I've been fooling around with computers since 1977, and I have acquired some knowledge I've learned a thing or two. I've basically learned that I can't stand them, but I have learned a thing or two about technology. I know a little bit about theology. I have been a student of this book uh, since I was a child. I was saved when I was 12, when I was 12 years old, but I was reading this book before that. And uh, all of my life I've been studying the Bible. And so I have come to know and I've come to learn a lot of truths. And I'm confident that my understanding, at least of some things in here, is, is accurate and is Correct. I know a little bit about theology. I know a little bit of Greek. I know a little bit less of French. I know some English. I even know a little Klingon, believe it or not. I know a little music. I know piano and guitar and a little harmonica. There was a time when I even knew a little oboe. Not anymore. I know a little about a lot of things. But there is an unfortunate truth that must be faced. And that's the truth that I don't know everything. I'd like to, but I don't. And as a matter of fact, I'm greatly confused and befuddled by many things. 
I have questions. A lot of them. And my guess is you do too. You see, in spite of the fact that I understand theologically why this world is broken, I understand what the Bible says in Genesis. I believe it. I accept it. I know sin is the reason why things are the way they are. I understand that. Yet in spite of knowing that theological truth, I still struggle with the reality of things in this world, don't you? I mean, think about some things. Yes, we know there is pain. We know why there is pain. But why do some people have it and others don't? Why do some people live lives that are filled with pain and others little or not? Yes, there is death. We know there is death. But why do some truly evil people live long and prosperous and wonderful lives and others who are good and beautiful die young? Yes, there's poverty. But why do some people struggle with poverty all their lives? Through no bad decisions of their own. Some people are poor because of decisions, I know. But some because of no poor choices of their own. And then there are some who are simply rotten to the core, who are filthy rich every minute of their life from birth to grave. Don't you wonder? Isn't it a question that comes to your mind? Yes, there is disease. Why is it that there are some people who are smitten with disease all their life and other people live healthy? Perfect health from birth until death. You know, I have a lot of questions about a lot of things. And I don't know the answer to those questions. And I imagine you probably have some too. And probably even many, many more. We all have a list of questions that we long to ask God. But you know what? I want to say this morning, thank you, Lord, for what you will do. Because I know there is coming a day when every one of those questions is going to be answered. Can you say amen to that? There is coming a day. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 12 says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. I love the way for, uh, the new, li- new Living Translation makes that verse. It says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial. And incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God now knows me completely. Oh, can we not say this morning, thank you God for what you will do. You will answer all my questions. Well, I'm sure there's others that you could think of. Things that are in the future. Things that we can be thankful for that God is going to do. And it would be a good thing for us to meditate on as we approach Thanksgiving this week. I challenge you to do that. Let us, this Thanksgiving season, remember to say thank you, God, for who you are. And thank you, God, for what you have done. And thank you, God, for what you are doing right now in my life. And thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for what you will do one day very soon. Can we do that this year? But let me close this morning with one final thing that God is going to do, uh, which is not a word of thanksgiving, but a word of warning. And let me close with just this one thought. You see, there's something else God's going to do. He's going to do it in the future. He's going to do it very soon. And that is, he's going to shut the door. He's going to shut the door. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. I want to read one more passage of Scripture as we close. Matthew 25. See, Jesus told a parable. And it ought to give us pause when we think about what he's going to do in the future. Matthew chapter 25. 
It's a familiar passage. You've heard it before. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their lamps, in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The door was shut. Did you see that? Verse number 10. Everything I have said to you this morning is absolute truth. In fact, Christ will come again. I know that to be true. You can, you can deny it if you want, but he's coming again. It's the truth. And he will fix all that is broken in this world. I am thankful for that. And he will answer every question, every question that I've ever had and that you've ever had. I'm so thankful for that. But this truth is just as absolute. He will close the door. There's coming a day when the offer is rescinded. The door will close. And if you are not in, well, you never will be. You never will be. My friend, if you don't know Jesus, this Jesus who will come again, this Jesus who will fix all the brokenness in this world, this Jesus who will answer every question you've ever had, if you don't know him, please come to him today before he shuts the door forever. I implore you to turn your life over to Christ. I implore you to be saved today before it is too late. For as one man said one day, each of us will run out of tomorrows. And so let us not put off what is important.